is a production of burgundyblog.com. What's up? It's Brent from Burgundy Blog. It is Wednesday, July 12th. We are in the middle of Kirk Week as a mere five days remain for the Redskins to sign Kirk Cousins to a long-term contract or else be forced to see him play under the franchise tag for the second year in a row. As such, I thought I might find it therapeutic to record a few final thoughts on the matter, as well as kind of a minor epiphany I may have had about the situation, which may have impacted my expectation for Kirk Cousins and the Redskins for 2018 and beyond. Okay, this deserves some context, but if you're listening to this right now, you no doubt pretty much know the deal. The Redskins should have signed Kirk Cousins to a long-term contract prior to last year's deadline. Feel free to argue about whether or not exactly Kirk and his agent would have been signable this time last year at any number, but I would submit that everyone has a number, and in fact, it has been reported fairly confidently by, for example, Mike Jones of the Washington Post, that Kirk's agent himself even submitted a proposal to the tune of $19 million a year with $44 million guaranteed that I think we can presume he would have taken. Needless to say, if the Redskins had accepted that proposal then, they would be looking very smart right now, as Kirk's going rate has skyrocketed. So much so, in fact, that most close observers now feel that a deal is all but impossible because his price so significantly exceeds his ability. Thank you, franchise tags! As a brief aside, many on Twitter continue to insist that identifying this situation as a Redskins failure requires hindsight, which I will continue to vehemently refute. I feel now, and certainly felt then, that Kirk's 2016 season and the current contract situation were eminently predictable and extremely likely. And in fact, if interested, I would direct you to a blog post I wrote about a year ago, in fact, roughly eight hours prior to last year's deadline, entitled The Crux on Cuz, posted on burgundyblog.com. In fact, the short URL is burgundy.blog slash crux, C-R-U-X. That article predicts fairly confidently and very accurately what would and actually did happen without the benefit of hindsight. So yes, I'm a little proud of it, and please stop coming at me with that weak sauce. So let me clarify then what I suppose would qualify as my prediction here only five days from the deadline. I do not think that Kirk Cousins and the Redskins will reach a long-term pact. I'm prepared to allow for maybe a 15 or 20% chance because people are people and they do unpredictable things. And I suppose even the most stone-cold, hyper-rational negotiators are prone to moments of sentiment and susceptible to the allure of long-term security. But I do not think a deal will get done, and the primary reason is simple math. Cousins won't sign a deal even remotely resembling the one Derek Carr just signed, because whereas Derek Carr was scheduled to make a meager $1 million this year, Kirk Cousins is already sitting on $24 million if he doesn't do another damn thing. Therefore, it's fairly plain that the absolute floor for a new Cousins deal would include Derek Carr's $40 million guaranteed at signing and or $70 million in total guarantees, plus roughly $24 million that he already has in hand. Plus, the Redskins are compelled to essentially buy him out of what is an ideal upcoming situation with unrestricted free agency, 
Plus, they've probably already pissed him off. So indeed, his price seems to have well surpassed his actual worth, and it will be very difficult to reconcile these on paper. Now, with my venting complete, I'm going to stop railing on the Redskins and actually do quite the opposite, which is the main reason for this episode. To reiterate, I clearly think that the Redskins erred by not signing Cousins to a longer deal last year, and I find it hard to believe that they wouldn't, if given the opportunity, go back in time to one year ago and make it happen. But, but, an idea struck me today, or I guess maybe a way of thinking of this situation from a slightly different perspective, that maybe forces me to cut them a tiny bit of slack and maybe even changes exactly what I'm expecting for Cousins over the next couple of years. Mike Jones indicated to me that he thinks that Mike McCartney's supposedly rejected proposal of 19 years on average with $44 million guaranteed was probably for a four-year deal. That would have been $76 million in total. Mike is probably right, but I do wonder a little bit if maybe McCartney, knowing how quickly starting quarterback contracts become obsolete with the rapidly increasing salary cap, could have been angling for instead a three-year $57 million deal so their cousins could be potentially in position for another bite at the free agency Apple at the still fairly young age of 30. And I looked at that and I thought, well, it doesn't surprise me that Dan Snyder wasn't smart enough to make the right call there. And it doesn't particularly surprise me that Bruce Allen wasn't smart enough to make the right call there. It would surprise me a little bit if Scott McLuhan didn't realize that that was the right plan. But as we know now, his power at that time was probably diminishing. But finally, I thought, yes, it would surprise me quite a bit if Eric Schaefer, uh, recently promoted to, I think, vice president of football ops, whatever that means, it would surprise me quite a bit if Eric Schaefer, who, by the way, I have been respecting and tweeting about and trying to acknowledge for years in my blog posts and pods, etc., because having read a little about him, it has long been clear to me that he is extremely competent. And for a second, I did not see or understand how Schaefer could possibly have not seen it coming, that after using one franchise tag, they would be somewhat inevitably committed to a full path of franchise tags, meaning at least two and possibly three, seeing Cousins all the way into free agency, rather than being able to sign him to a multi-year deal after his so-called prove-it year on the tag. And that's when it hit me. Schaefer's too smart. He wasn't blindsided. He knew that this was probably coming. Eric Schaefer knew that even one tag probably meant two or even three tags. But he said to Bruce Allen, you know what? If you guys are not fully sold yet that he is your long-term dude, parentheses, I totally think they should have known by then that he was going to be their long-term dude. He had been in the building, on the team, on the practice field, in the bubble, and in over a season's worth of games as a starter. They should have known who he is. End parentheses. Anyway, Eric said to Bruce and Dan and maybe Scott, if you guys are not fully sold yet, I guess maybe, just maybe, we can get away with this franchise tag route, and here's why. I explained earlier that McCartney probably would have given them three for 57 or four for 76, but the sticking point, no doubt, was the 44 million fully guaranteed. Redskins just weren't ready to eat that and look pretty dumb if, on some outside chance, he wildly regressed. Another parenthesis, that wasn't going to happen. He had the same coach, same scheme, same offensive talent around him. He's the same dude. He has extremely good intangibles. He's a very hard worker, and he's a relatively inexperienced player at the time, far more likely to improve than regress. End parenthesis again. 
Anyway, then here's the very simple addition and division that Schaefer did for them on the whiteboard. He said, if we do a franchise tag, we're probably going to have to do it again and maybe again. But guess what? Over three years, even if it's the full exclusive tag all three years, that's 20 plus 24 plus 34. I realize that 34 is the whopping number that we're all dreading for next year right now. But that adds up to 78. And believe it or not, over the course of three years, that's $26 million a year. If, on the other hand, for the third year instead, they decide eventually that they want to use that transition tag instead of the full franchise, that would be 20 plus 24 plus 28 for 72, and actually only $24 million per year over the three years. Realize now that Cars deal, for example, and the top of the market is $25 million a year. So in a way, you could argue that the market has already caught up to this supposedly crazy string of tags. By the way, please be reminded that unused salary cap space can be rolled over by every team into the following year. So in my view, as long as you are under the cap in every applicable season, uh, I think that money spent early and money spent late are pretty much equivalent in a deal like this, as long as you smartly account for the money spent late at the beginning. Anyway, do you follow where I'm going with this? The Redskins may have somewhat stupidly turned down 19 a year for four years, but they kind of knew that they had him locked into 26 a year for three years, or maybe even only 24 a year if the transition tag would end up looking somewhat safe in year three. I think they basically looked at two consecutive or even three consecutive tags as a single contract that was, of course, more expensive, but not incredibly more expensive, on average at least, than the deal McCartney was proposing. The key benefit, in their minds, at the time at least, would have been avoiding having to guarantee him as much as $44 million, and instead guaranteeing only the $20 million for the first tag up front, and then basically having two team options after that. Yes, the three consecutive tag option essentially translates into a 100% guaranteed deal, but not fully guaranteed at signing, which is what they were most terrified about. So the tag sequence is basically a fully guaranteed deal, but backloaded and with very important team options every year to essentially cut the player with no dead cap. If I'm right about this, about Schaefer's thinking on this, and the idea that he anticipated that one tag essentially was going to commit them to three. Then what the team would have been communicating to us through their actions would be that the opportunity to have Cousins quote-unquote prove it over another year and therefore be able to guarantee him up front fully at signing only $20 million instead of the requested or demanded $44 million was worth the following additional costs. Number one, uh, the obvious difference of between 5 and $7 million annually in his salary. On average, again, that's basically just 26 a year or 24 a year minus the 19. That's nothing to sneeze at. 5 6 or $7 million in a season, you know, you could make a good case that that's going to cost you one or even two solid starters elsewhere on the roster. Number two, if McCartney's proposal a year ago was for a four-year deal, then the tag sequence option costs you basically one one year of control because it's only a three-year contract. That's a pretty big cost too, in my opinion. However, remember that we're not sure that McCartney was offering a four-year deal, and if he was only offering three, then that would really make this tag option all the more enticing. Lastly, though, and maybe, maybe most importantly, not signing Cousins to a long-term deal last year and choosing instead this sequence of tags may have cost you Kirk's trust. 
and therefore the ability or the probability of being the team that he chooses for his next multi-year deal at the conclusion of this one. Even though these annual tags may have preserved for you your future finance structure, they may have just pissed off or scared off your QB1 enough to make inevitable your eventual divorce. So what is the practical application of my probably very stupid little theory here? I guess basically this new perspective makes me even less confident that the Redskins will be able to sign Cousins to a multi-year deal prior to Monday's deadline. And maybe the Redskins are actually dead serious about this so-called option, as Bruce Allen referred to it, of franchising Cousins for a third time, even at the seemingly outrageous price of $34 million. Listening to a broadcast by Burgundy Blog.